Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, the show that takes a look at film, technology, pop culture, well-curated TikTok pages, because in the end, everything is an ad. Hello, I'm Shannon Miller, the managing editor of Creativity, Creator Economy, and DEI. That is a new title for everyone at home. Thank you so much for joining us for, yeah, that's probably an ad. Um, I am joined by two especially wonderful ladies, including my guest co-host, she is a creator and the host of the podcast called Let's Talk About Brand. Please welcome Christine Gritman. Christine, hi. Hey, how are you doing? I am fantastic. It is so nice to have you here. Welcome it's to, great to be here. Welcome to the co-pilot chair. I hope it's comfy. It is. This is our time to, um, our obligatory, hi, Luz, just to remember she is <laughs> at home nursing that cute little um, new baby, so Aww. we are going to leave her to it, but for now, Christine is going to help me pilot today's episode, and to help really fill out this special conversation, we have social editor, Sammy Lambert. Sammy, Hi! Hi! Woo. You cannot tell anyone else at Adweek. Sammy oh might be one of my favorite people. Stop! You might be. <laughs> Guys, I'm blushing so hard right now. Aww. Screaming, crying, throwing up, shaking. <laughs> Sammy is such a, a wonderful social editor. She is part of our really stellar um, social team and has brought such incredible energy since her year of being here. And um, she is also in a very special position to talk um, to us today about the world of creators. As I mentioned before, I have a shiny new title that now includes the creator economy. And there is a lot to parse through there. It is such a wild west of a space. And I would love to just talk with you ladies about kind of what to expect. First of all, kind of figure out what it is. Because that's still one of those things that feels like it's up in the air, but I feel like we're sort of just beginning to get a grip on that. But before we dig into any of that, I'm really interested in learning how the both of you really got into this idea of, you know, creators and becoming one and and just that entire world in general. How did you all fall into the world of creation? We'll start with you, Christine. All right. Well, mine, it's interesting. I actually sort of fell into it. Again, it's the Wild West, so you can just sort of do it at this point in, mm-hmm. in a sense. So about six years ago, I guess, um, I was a journalist of all things. And when I when I became a journalist, when I entered the newsroom, I started new social channels and they were just starting to move away from apparently what had been taught to journalists, which was kind of keep yourself out of the story, be a non-entity, whatever, and into this whole thing of journalists having personal brands and having followings and, you know, really engaging with their communities in different ways. And I was a local newspaper, so um, engaging with our communities was a big thing. So I just kind of did it, 
you know, nobody mm-hmm. told me how or what to do. It just seemed so natural to me that if I wanted to know what our coverage area was thinking about and talking about and what mattered to them, we had to be in the places where they're having those conversations, which was, of course, social media. And so I just did it naturally. And after a while, I actually got promoted to a position in the newsroom of engagement editor, where my job was to help other people in the newsroom do that, you know, develop their social presence, develop their personal brand, um, actually engage with their communities, both online and in real life events. So I was in charge of um, helping put together events. Um, And it was really funny because I went to a lot of local events just again, because it felt like you got to be where the people are to know what they're talking about and what they care about. Mm -hmm. And of course, they made content at those events because I was there, my smartphone was there, <laughs> and, you know, if it's not on social media, did it even really happen? And and through that, people started inviting me to things just to be there and just to make content out of it. I had a whole column in my paper, which was just kind of, here's where Christine went this week. And I remember saying to my husband, I was like, I feel like a Kardashian. I'm just getting paid to, <laughs> to be me <laughs> and document it. It is very strange to me. Um, and then I wound up leaving that position um, to start my own social media consultancy for a while, which which I did for a bit. And of course, you know, creating content all the way. And eventually I took a turn into more personal branding related stuff, hence the podcast. Let's talk about brand. And now personal branding is really my jam, but it really was that I was just kind of doing it and I didn't identify mm. it as such or even as being anything particularly special until I realized that other people, it didn't it didn't come as naturally to them. And other people were, you know, not sure how to be a presence online. Other people were like, well, I don't know what to post or I feel weird sharing. And, and so it's just been this whole journey of taking something that I'm very comfortable with and that comes very naturally to me mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, trying to make it less scary for others and using myself as an example of, you know, you don't have to be a perfect influencer type. Your whole, you know, everything doesn't have to be perfect. I'm very, I mean, I'm, I'm special, but, you know, my <laughs> life is pretty average in other ways. Um, I'm not saying I'm not special, but, you know, it's it's just, it can, the, the normal and the real can be appealing. Somebody out there is apparently interested in it. And so don't worry so much about putting yourself out there has been my whole thing since. I mean, that's so interesting in terms of, like, how people kind of realize – I feel like it's more prevalent to kind of realize that you're you're in the world of um, creation or becoming a creator mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, actively pursuing the life of a creator, especially if you are in – you know, like myself, I'm in my late 30s. And, you know, back when I started a podcast, which, you know, kind of sparked all of this, sparked – any form of an online presence, it wasn't that I was intentionally wanting to become a creator. It was yeah. that I couldn't find a podcast that featured four black women talking about <laughs> comics and nerd culture. And Ooh. instead of being like, I guess it doesn't exist. I was just like, okay, we can just kind of make one. I, does, does it hard? Mm-hmm. Can we do it? And I'm like, I kind of trust my opinions above all else. So I sure someone else wants to hear me talk. Certainly, certainly wants someone wants to hear me gab <laughs> about my hard opinions about comics. Well, and there's got to be someone out there like you is the thing. And that's and that's what the internet does. It shows us that there is someone who's psyched about the things that we're psyched about. And that's that's the magic of it. Yeah. And then it's like it's not even until years later when someone's like, oh, what was it like being a creator? So, is that what I was doing? Is that what was happening? <laughs> and it is. It's it's you. I think that there is this a pervasive. There's still this very pervasive um, image of what a creator and an influencer is. Mm-hmm. And it is very much curated. It is very it looks very packaged. It looks very shiny. But really, it is so nebulous. Anyone can be a creator doing literally anything. And now we have this opportunity to really tap into it from um, an industry perspective, especially those of us who are in advertising or at least advertising adjacent. And it's now growing into something that's way, way more intentional. And In some ways, but in some ways, though, I would argue that it's almost, I feel like there's almost been a backlash to the perfect curated Mm. influencer thing. I think with platforms like TikTok and Twitch and even Twitter, it's really disrupted our idea of what like this Instagram influencer, this like skinny white blonde 
woman mm-hmm. who's like holding a cup of coffee in front mm-hmm. of some autumn leaves kind of situation, <laughs> wearing yoga yep. pants. I think these new platforms have really came in and disrupted the whole idea of what an influencer can be because it's basically given the power back to people to choose what content ends up on their pages and what content they interact with most. And then we learned, oh, wait, the contact they're interacting with most isn't always that perfect kind of looking person who's posting this like right. curated thing. It's like normal people talking about normal things. And I that's what I love right now about the stage of the creator economy that we're in in like 2022 is that anybody, no matter what you look like or where you come from or what you talk about or your educational background or your socioeconomic background, like you can become a content creator and a successful one because your people are really resonating with what you're doing and it doesn't have to be this like perfect Instagram picture for you to be an influencer. In fact, people trust it more a lot of times when it's not, especially if it's something sponsored. If it's something sponsored, you almost want to make it look less polished in a weird kind of way to be like, I'm a real person. They didn't bring me in and use my clout and then put me in a studio. I'm a real person creating my own real content. I feel like small is a superpower and a scrappy is a superpower now in a big way. And brands are trying to leverage that because if they wanted polished, they could do that themselves. Yeah. They really could. It's it's interesting because it's like, okay, we have this understanding of it because we're entrenched in it every day. Mm. And we still are, like, in terms of, you know, from an industry perspective, I think that we are still grappling with this idea of, like, what is current, what the current temperature is because we're still kind of, wrestling the industry out of the hands of the people that have always existed and still don't take creators and influencers and, and all of that really seriously. And in their image, it is still very much, um, you know, the queen of autumn, which, you know, no knock to her. She's, she's yeah. an icon <laughs> at this point. She, she's iconic. Yeah. No, <laughs> but she can live within the whole economy and not be the only one, you know? It, Exactly. So I'm really interested, um, Sammy, in talking to you a little bit about um, Adweek's Creator Network because, like, we've sort of, or not we, you have built this um, really interesting ecosystem that really rests on the more, like, everyday authentic creator. First, can you talk a little bit about what it is? Oh, yes. So I feel like Adweek's just dipping its toes into the creator network and the creator economy this year um, Mm -hmm. and what I've been tasked to do and what I do now with Adweek and our creators. But we basically have created a creator network, which we have about 26, I think, um, content creators who span across a ton of different, um, I would say, platforms and uh, what's the right word? Maybe... Um, interests or mm-hmm. specifications. Or even formats, um, niches. Yeah, niches, different niches. And I'm excited for next year, too, because I think we're really going to refine what we're doing and um, make it even bigger and better. But basically, Adweek's creators um, make content that help promote Adweek. So they make content around our magazine. They try to promote subscribers, newsletter subscriptions, and a lot of event coverage. So Christine's actually in our creator network. I met her last year at Women Trailblazers, our Adweek's Women Trailblazers event, which is an amazing event. And that's before the network even really took off. Um, and she's a whiz at kind of um, synthesizing all the information and live tweeting and posting on LinkedIn. Um, and then we brought her back for Brand Week and Social Media Week Europe. So she was just in London a month ago doing that same thing, but also now last grabbing week. video. Was it last week? <laughs> it was last week. Oh, my God, week. guys. I have no concept of time. Week, month, I cannot oh my God. I woke up this morning and I was like, guys. how did I wake up a week ago in London? Like, what even is time anymore? Since 2020, <laughs> that I think is we all have excuses to not know what time even is anymore. Guys, I'm floored that that was a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) But she was, at those um, events, she was grabbing video content with the speakers. So she was actually like grabbing speakers right off of the Adweek stages, asking them questions, returning them until, you know, 
the videos that are going on like TikTok and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter across all platforms. So we're really trying to leverage our creators in a lot of different ways. And I'm really excited, yeah, again, for next year to get more people involved, to keep working with the people who are in the network and to start different initiatives. I really think, you know, the short form social video content is like the future of the internet as we've seen. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard, I think, for some brands to kind of shift in that direction, especially something like a magazine, a print magazine, you know, slowly they've gone on to the internet and then they've gone on to social and now they're moving to video. We've seen that happen really well with like the Washington Post is a great example of leveraging social video for their Instagram and TikTok pages. And um, we're kind of, I mean, we're similar, but different, you know, so um, yeah, we're just using creators in a lot of different ways and it's just started and I think it's going to get better and better. And I'm really excited. I love working with creators. I love having or giving like power, energy, money, focus to these normal people who talk about things that they're really passionate about and they can kind of succeed in that way instead of, you know, maybe working with giant companies, who knows where that money and power is going when you work with huge companies. It's kind of nice to give it back to the people again. I have to say, like, I did my first kind of like big in-person event um, at Brand Week in Miami this year. Mm. And it was so cool to see the creator network in action. In prior to that, I was in Cannes. And to see like creators kind of add this new layer to an existing event is so um, cool. One, I, it was my, Cannes was actually my first time actually seeing like what my image of a creator might be, which is like someone who, you know, really creates this short form content and to see them at work, like if anyone is going to defend the validity of creators and the fact that these are actual jobs, it's going to be me. Um, Cause like just to see it in action, like immediately, like immediately making sure to take advantage of that moment so that it is something that is like shareable and impactable later is so hard. Like if you are not in that headspace, it's really like hard to kind of like capture in a bottle and they do it so easily and that requires very much a very specific skill and eye and to see sort of that carry over into brand week so like we're having all of these panels and then of course we have our articles online but then you have this creator this network of creators that are doing like basically like man on the street interviews that are making sure to create video content so that it lives elsewhere um, it just adds like this really cool, like new life, I think, to this, this existing structure. And brands could learn a lot from really tapping into the potential of this. And some are doing it well and some need to figure out. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. To be. Get out. I'm wondering, well, first of all, before we get into all of that, um, we, I think it would help us to kind of identify or at least figure out what the creator economy is or what we feel like 
it is and how it's different from influencer marketing. Like, I know that I have my definitions, but I'm curious to hear what your definitions are. Christine, What you're in this world, so what is the creator economy? Um, I'm not as deeply into this world as I would like to be, simply because I haven't monetized it a ton yet. <laughs> but <laughs> I will say I feel like it is definitely reaching a point where there's almost a split. Like I was talking before about the polished versus the the more raw and real feeling. I feel like there's there's kind of a split now where we all know the sort of first round of influencer. The first round of creator economy, I feel like, was influencer economy specific. And it was the mm-hmm. people who had crazy followings and they were getting paid huge amounts for posts And um, that started to kind of reach a tipping point of authenticity in terms of once business got involved, some of those creators, you know, either they followed the money and lost track of their brand values and then people didn't trust them anymore and it backfired on them Mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, things like that where it's just it became it sort of went from this is more trustworthy because it's a person who has their own audience to Mm, but did they just do this because they got paid? And that's where brand values really come in. And that's and I think that the creators and influencers who recognized that and the importance of that really are the ones who have been able to build longevity into their careers because they've recognized that um, the trust is important to grow, not to sell. Um, mm. And they can st- they can still sell their creation. They can sell their their talent, and they can sell you know to some degree exposure to their audience. But I think that they recognize I need to be on target with my brand values in order to make this more of a sign of trust and not less mm-hmm. of one. But then on the other hand, you have people. Um, who are kind of just doing scrappy things and they're really just kind of passion-based. And a lot of those are, you know, to throw the terms around micro-influencers, nano-influencers, all these things have, you know, smaller numbers attached to them. But they're people where, you know, their audiences grew not because they were so polished and perfect and everyone wanted to be them necessarily. It was more that they put themselves and their real passions out there and people related to them and people, you know, really resonated with them on a deeper level. And now we're in the next level of that creator economy where brands are recognizing, you know, that's a whole other level of trust. And one of the things that they talked about a huge amount at Social Media Week Europe last week, again, mind blown, um, <laughs> was the idea that smart brands are following the creators and letting the creators take full creative control over what those creators are doing Mm -hmm. as opposed to a brand saying here's the box we want to fit you into you know we want to use the trust that you have with your audience we want to use your image but we want to push it into our brand mold and i think brands are recognizing that if you identify someone whose values are clear and if you identify someone whose audience's values are clear and you have a real alignment there with that someone, you don't have to tell them what to do because that alignment is there and it's real. And, you know, and so smart brands are realizing that a lot of the brands that spoke at Social Media Week Europe last week were actively talking about following the creators because they're the ones who know their communities best. They -hmm. know what their communities care about. They know what resonates with them. And they know how to make it a a message of value rather than a message that will be dismissed as a a marketing scheme Mm -hmm. (laughs) of some sort. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that building that trust is super key, um, is a, a key part of that. And there's also like one word that I think that is like, very pervasive and what the economy should be is like the word investment like mm-hmm. it's in uh, beyond like monetary investment but you are really building this relationship mm-hmm. with these creators it's not like here here's three hundred dollars wear this pair of shoes in your next video and mm-hmm. you know peace out it's like hey we can actually build something very interesting here let's like meet in the middle and figure out how we can build something that's going to be beneficial for both of us affinity is worth more than just you know impressions or awareness mm -hmm. brand affinity is something you can build 
that will really last, that will go deeper. We all we all know we're all marketers here. You know, we all know the old thing about how it costs way less to keep a customer than mm-hmm. to gain a new one. And of course, the best marketing ever is word of mouth. So really, I think that the shift has been in recognizing brand affinity is the most valuable thing that you can invest in, given that we are in a situation now in the in the digital world where nothing is more precious than attention. Everyone's mm-hmm. attention span is at zero. We're being bombarded with messages all day long from brands, from personalities, from from politicians at this time of year, you know, from all sorts of things. And so being able to break through and get people not only to hear your message, but to seek your message out for next time, mm-hmm. there's nothing like that. So I'm glad that the tide is kind of turning. As usual, big brands are a few years behind <laughs> the people on the ground when it comes to just the average everyday creator folk on on social media. Mm-hmm. But it is happening. It's coming around and brands are starting to work it into their plans that they're going to trust the people who are on the ground. And they're going to recognize that the ROI of creator relationships goes beyond direct conversions of, you know, sales of dollars and cents. The ROI of investing in a creator is really about building deeper relationships that they can reach that you maybe are too big to as a brand. I think that's why it's hard to, to kind of convince maybe your higher ups or talk Mm -hmm. about the creator economy because people look so closely at data and a lot of it is data and you should be looking at data, but like it's going to be over a very long period of time, especially if you're working Mm -hmm. with a creator over the span of a year or two years and getting them involved in many different things. It's not, it might not be like one singular social media post that leads to a certain number of conversions. You might see it at like the fourth post or the fifth post in the third month that you're working with them that people actually start to um, catch on to what's going on. So I think it's having like people need to shift the way they think about these things. So it's kind of hard for certain brands to jump on board. Also, it's a calculated risk. Like you're putting your brand's identity and your brand's values and voice into some stranger. Um, and you really do need to trust that no matter what they do with your the brief that you give them, which honestly, in my opinion, should be like, make sure you tag us and use this one hashtag. Other than that, you do you, figure it out. That's why mm-hmm. I love working with Christine too. And we worked with the Braxis at a few events recently. And I say like, okay, here's the hashtag. Here's the Here's the handle. You guys know what to do. I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> like, yeah. do what you know what the content is that your audience is going to resonate with. Like, I'm going to do what I can with the like the videos that we get, and we're going to give it to our video team. But I kind of trust the reason I invited you to this event in the first place is because I've seen your content already, and I know what you do, and I trust that you're going to do something great, um, or we wouldn't have brought you here. So it's been cool, and I and it's fun to work with different personalities and. Um, you know, kind of get a different point of view. Yeah. I don't know. It's, that's, that's the key is like, yeah, it's absolutely a risk. It's a risk when you take on anybody, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Kanye. I mean, Kanye. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I was, I was definitely <laughs> going to be super assured in that. Like, one, that was, I mean, a, that was a very interesting risk to take. We all knew what you were doing when you were signing that person on. So it's like, why are you shocked? I'm not. But like, and, but like you know, you, you do when, in terms of like, I don't want to encourage like parasocial relationships. That's not what I'm saying. But when you follow a specific creator for a, uh, a sustained amount of time, you get a sense of what they can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a risk, but... You have to be able to trust at the end of the day, okay, this person was able to hook me um, yeah. over this amount of time and I haven't strayed. Um, you know, I, maybe I can move forward into something a little bit more professional and hope that they can do the same thing, just, you know, bring it to my brand. And then yeah. obviously, yeah, it, that can still very much backfire in terms of like linking with a creator you like and maybe not being forthright about that relationship and that blowing up in your face in a major, major way. Um but I think that's rare. I hope. I hope there are no more random gas station meals that sort of blow the whole thing <laughs> up um, in the future. But, you know, it, it's that's it's the risk. But I feel like the reward is just so great when it's you finally so are able to tap into that audience. I'm curious, yeah. Sammy, like, 
in terms, I know, you know, and this is to, I promise we're extending grace to brands that are still trying to figure it out. This is still very new, but I'm wondering if there are any brands right now that you feel are just like, are just nailing it. that are like doing it right when it comes to really creating something with creators. I think the beauty industry and makeup products were at the forefront of working with creators and not huge creators who have hundreds of millions of followers, but even the average person who like took a Maybelline mascara and make it made a little video. And then they saw that that sold out a product. I think they jumped on that really, really quickly. And those are the people and brands that come to mind first of being able to really leverage niche micro nano creators or even regular people using their product and turning that into like user generated content, turning that into paid promotion, mm-hmm. really seeing a huge ROI, seeing conversion, selling out things right away and now having like entire ambassador programs. And they, I think, have leveraged the um, not famous type of content creator. And I think brands now are following that and any brand now is following that. And not even just not famous, also not typical. I think that's been an amazing thing about the creator economy because my first career was actually in the beauty business like 20 years ago. Oh, my God. So, of course, the beauty business, you know, at that time and, you know, forever kind of was rightly getting some flack about only presenting certain images of beauty. And one of, I think, the biggest um, revolutions of the creator economy is that it really has shown all sorts of people who didn't feel represented did what you said, Shannon, when you said that you weren't seeing yourself represented in the podcast community. The mm-hmm. beauty creators didn't see themselves represented in the images of beauty that were being put out by the brands, so they started putting it out there themselves. They started doing their own creation. We have, you know, men who who decided, you know what, I'm going to play with makeup. I'm not a trans woman. I'm just a man who likes makeup. And the Mm -hmm. internet made that, like, such an okay thing because other people were able to be like, you know what, we're here, we're just not represented. There's a ton of makeup influencers who I keep seeing on my Instagram who have, like, disfigurements. And it's incredible because they never would have been seeing themselves represented by a traditional beauty campaign unless it was specifically patronizing. And here they are creating on their own terms and saying, I can celebrate beauty too. Look at how much fun I'm having with this stuff because this is, you know, fun. And I think that has been a huge thing. It has actually pushed... um, pushed the companies to have to change what they're selling. That's what I was going to say. Because, yeah, because change- you cannot get that representation if you don't make products that, you know, people of certain skin colors or people who maybe have, you know, other stuff going on, like, if they're not going to be able to use your product and if they're not seeing them their needs represented in your product line, you're not going to get that boost. I think right. it's changed the whole marketing industry because people mm-hmm. really do need representation and they need to be seen in marketing. And now a lot of companies are using creators in their marketing. So they are not only using like videos, but they're actually putting the creators straight onto their websites or onto print media or into TV yeah. commercials because they're like the most diverse that you can get because they're these normal people that everyone's resonating with and they don't look like your average model. And I'm so happy to see that. I feel like as much as there's so much negativity that comes with social media and I feel a little bit bad for teenagers now that are growing up with Mm -hmm. all of this going on, they Mm -hmm. do get this, like such a big array of diverse people to look up to that I really didn't have when I was on the internet. Like I was on Tumblr when I was a young teenager and I, yeah, I'm plus size. So I'm like, I did not see myself on Tumblr that often. I think Tumblr actually Mm. contributed to a lot of people's like eating disorders. And now I think that still happens on the internet, of course, but on Instagram and TikTok, there's a million plus size models who are doing everything, not just like makeup and clothes, but they're, you know, creating content for every type of company. And it's like so nice to see that. And I wish I had that when I was growing up. And I think I'm so grateful for the creator economy to like bring this attention to people who don't look like the people we are used to seeing on advertising and marketing in general. So it's been really nice. I also have to commend, wait, I need to commend Christine and every creator because we're saying this, like it's easy to put yourself out there when traditionally you don't look like what other people were supposed to look like. And 
I'm not a content creator. I create contents for brands. Like I've been working in social media for 10 years for brands, but you know, my face is not on there. My body's not on there. My personality's not on there. And I think we have to give everyone huge credit for putting yourself out there. People see it as like so shallow and I don't see it as being shallow at all. I see it as like the most, the bravest thing you can do is put your face, body and personality out to the world and just see what happens and see people's reactions to it. I think that's not easy. And that's just like the tiniest part in addition to actually filming things and editing things and making videos and writing copy. There's a million things. Uh, but yeah, putting yourself out there like that is not easy. I don't know how everyone does it. And I like respect it tremendously. It's really fascinating. Um, I I get the most response of anything when I put a bikini picture on Instagram, which may sound like duh, but I'm overweight and in my 40s. So <laughs> the fact that that's like what's getting the love as opposed to, to, to getting the hate that it might have gotten on an earlier version of the internet is is awesome. And like I hear what my my kids watch on YouTube, especially my son. My son is 10 years old. So he's like that prime tween time and he's following a ton of creators on YouTube whose whole thing is talking about how they felt different at various times. Um mm-hmm. I I was listening to him, he was watching on his iPad. One of one of the creators was giving this whole long talk about how they discovered that they were like asexual. And you know, he he the creators that he follows, they're all over um, the gender spectrum, all over the sexuality spectrum. That's even represented in the media. Media on Disney Plus, by the way, of all places. The media that these kids are consuming, made by studios, has been forced to be more representative of the real world. And stuff that never would have flown on kids' shows and kids' media when I was a kid is being so beautifully normalized. And I really think that that's because um, studios and brands and all of that media, major, you know, big media, has had to respond Mm -hmm. to the fact that people are responding to creators because they're being seen and they're being represented. And you can no longer get away with not representing a variety of people in the mainstream. You just can't. I mean, not only can you not get away with not representing um, or having, a, you know, really intentional representation, you also can't or at least shouldn't get away Mm-mm. with, um, how, how can I phrase this? You, you can't get away with, like, bullshitting creators of color, essentially, mm. because we get a lot of yeah. that as well. Yes. Because mm-hmm. now we, you know, the creator economy, like, it's exciting to watch it grow. It is also one of those things where I do look at it because it is sort of like lawless currently. Yeah. There there aren't enough um, policies and regulations to really regulate this space to make keep it equi- equitable. But I don't know how many times I log onto TikTok and run into a TikTok um, from a marginalized creator, specifically from black and brown creators, saying a brand reached out to me about this deal and they only offered me like two boxes of hair color. And I know for a fact that they offered... Um, a white creator way more um, to do like far less videos. So there's still that aspect that needs to be um, addressed and needs to be, I don't know who's going to be responsible at the end of the day for sort of laying down that groundwork so that these things can't legally happen. But there is still that aspect of things um, that I think we're, we're, people are getting away with less and less because people are more now more willing to talk about them because there is such a roster of brands that are, I think, ready to meet um, creators in the middle and meet them fairly, that there is no longer that threat of like being blacklisted. Also, there is that like the thing that also needs to be fixed is like I, there's also a, a few creators that have large followings and have like an opportunity to like help brands grow these audiences like people with mcmillions and will say like i've never been approached by a brand to do any sort of deal i have to beg for all of my pr packages i have to like beg for brands to consider me even though like i provide family-friendly content even though i'm not providing um any sort of content that's necessarily like egregiously offensive not in the way that like other creators who like they build their whole personality and MO on offending and they have yet 
no problem um, making these connections. There's still a ton of work to be done. Um, and it's going to take sort of like the village to call it out and really sort of build that more equitable bridge. But I like that we're kind of in an area where that at least seems possible. At least seems like more creators are willing to sort of pitch in and, and help in that regard. There's just a lot that needs to be done, but there's also like, a, I just have a, a lot of hope for this space. So I'm really excited to see it grow and see how brands and Adweek can like sort of take part in this space to sort of help make that happen. So yeah, I always, I just always wanted to recognize that because it's like, it's so great to like congratulate and sort of like celebrate this space, even though I know for a fact there are creators that are like, this space was really hard for me in a way <laughs> that it's not hard for like my contemporaries. So I'm hoping that we can sort of get to a place where that's not the case anymore. No, there's um, so much, so much and, needs to be done. And people need to hold brands accountable and creators need to hold each other accountable too. And audiences need to hold both creators and brands accountable. So I think we can't like have this discussion without talking about that because it we're only talking about the positives, but there's so much bad stuff that also happens within this creator world and with brands in general that people really do need to be aware of for sure. And think about it when you start to, if you're working in an influencer program, like think about who you're sending and who you're inviting people to and what they look like and who they represent and why they're there. I think it's all really important. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I mean, there was that, there, there was that controversy a couple years ago when some late night show had a dancer on kind of showing various trending TikTok dances. Yeah, Addison Rae. And the creators were not credited yeah. and there was a huge uproar about it, especially since a lot of the creators of the things that ultimately went trending were creators of color. And I like the fact that since creators are generally creating on their own terms initially, their audiences are a little quicker now to call mm. stuff like that out because they're better able to trace it. But I mean, of course, that is one of the issues with creating on social, which is it when something goes trending, it tends to be a little murkier to dig back and give credit to the original creator. It's sort of the double-edged sword of going viral. <laughs> and and but since then, I've noticed a huge influx of people intentionally adding that dance credit. Yeah, to we're all those, learning like, as we go. Yeah, so it's like it's one of those things where it's like yeah, of course you're going to run into an area where you're going to mess up because you're figuring it out. Again, like learning to walk involves a lot of stumbling. So yeah. we shouldn't, or I say we, but like anyone who is interested in really engaging with this space shouldn't be afraid of messing up. You're probably going to. Mm -hmm. And like, as we've determined over and over and over again, cancel culture ain't real. Like you will more than likely ultimately be fine. Yeah. As long as you are <laughs> open to learning and also accepting that criticism and then sort of accepting that learning experience and just mm -hmm. doing better next time. It's can, as long as we sort of build, like you said, like this healthy system of accountability and like learning and developing it, it we have so much potential to grow the space into something that is even more exciting than it is now. So I'm excited to see which brands and creators show up and really begin to make this space super, super cool. Uh, the last question that I have for you is if you can offer a nugget of advice to like the begrudging ad exec <laughs> that is still like, I don't know if I want to give them these TikToks. <laughs> What would you tell them, like, right now? What's the biggest piece of advice that you would give someone who's kind of hesitant to enter the space? I would say you are 100% <laughs> falling behind if you're not working with creators. So if you want to take your time and take a few years to decide if this is a good idea, you're already going to be so behind. <laughs> and this goes so quickly. Take the risk. Find some creators who really resonate with your brand values. Hire some young people who live on the internet, who eat, breathe, and sleep internet culture. So it's not this kind of, um, yeah, like tone deaf initiative that you're trying to do, like really find somebody who knows what's going on online. And every platform has, you know, a different uh, language kind of, it's a different world on each platform. So don't treat all platforms the same and just find someone who really like, as 
resonates with your brand as much as possible. And then you just need to have trust, take the risk. What's the worst that's going to happen? We're on a floating rock. You're probably going to have like make a, a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you just have to. It's like the new, next wave of marketing. Like you can't not do it now. Come on. It's like not putting a commercial on TV when the television started because you were scared. Yeah, exactly. Christine? Yeah, I think I think a big thing also that executives need to realize about the creator economy is that, again, getting back to what we said before about how the ROI is less about direct conversion and more about um, building brand affinity over time, you need to recognize that the primary currency in this equation is trust. Mm -hmm. And so you want to make sure that whoever you're partnering with has the trust of the audience that you wish to build. You want to make sure that you are going to be worthy of their trust and their audience's trust. And and it's just, it's dealing, the reason why it's a whole different economy is because we really are using a different currency. The currency, um, and a lot of them go wrong by thinking that the currency of the creator economy is attention. It is not. It is trust. And, and the brands who recognize that and the value of that are the ones who are going to do it right and see the best return from it, even if they don't see immediate sales conversions from, like, one post, um, they just need to adjust their KPIs. They need to adjust the parameters of how they're defining success and recognize that it's an investment of trust and what you will get back in return is trust. I think it's also about, like, community and human connection. And I think in the advertising world, we kind of forget about that. And what this new wave of the creator economy has proved is that people always will crave that sense of community and humanness. And they just want brands to be that. So the best way to do that as a brand when you have a logo and you don't have a face to your company is to use content creators who can provide that community and that human connection. And that's how people are going to resonate more with your brand. And that's how they're going to trust your brand. And that's how they're going to buy products. It's no longer about having like an amazing TV commercial or a perfect Instagram post. You really need that human touch. And that's the way, this is just the way to do it. So it's hard though to, you know, give over your brand to a random face, but it's not random if it's calculated. So I'm excited to see what all these brands do moving forward. (laughs) If you need help um, figuring it out, if you still if you look around your staff and you feel like I, there's no one here that can really help me, like again, as Sammy said, tap into the young culture, but also recognize that young does not mean uh, 25 and under anymore. Like they're literally like older millennials that grew up with this as well. So there are people across that spectrum, and young is no longer like just up to 25 and then geriatric. Literally, there are people (laughs) (laughs) like in your 40s and even 50s that can help you really figure this out because they've learned how to tap into it. Unless it's Be Real. That is a (laughs) 21 and younger game. Wait, (laughs) I'm on Be Real. Yeah, there's... I'm pushing 30. There's young people... There's young people who don't know what they're doing with it. There's older people who do know what they're doing with it. Just it's, It's really more about just the investment in caring about learning it and caring about, you know, having your finger on the pulse of that and understanding what it's all about as opposed to applying an outdated set of parameters to the value of it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, it's wild that we have like doubled the time of a normal episode and I feel like we still haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> That's what of... happens when you let me talk every <laughs> That's why I have a podcast. <laughs> Before we go, do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? This is sure. a, this is a crossover episode um after all, <laughs> so we should probably learn a little bit about um about your podcast. So tell us about it. Sure. So my podcast is Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network. And the thing is, it started two years ago. I started it as a live stream, and it was a Facebook live show on Fridays. And um, and it was accompanied by a Twitter chat, Chat About Brand on Tuesdays. Then for season two, it was still a live stream, but it was on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and YouTube. I just really needed to get momentum for it. And I still had the Chat About Brand on Tuesdays on Twitter. And so this season, I totally changed it all up. This season, it is first and foremost a podcast. The podcast episodes drop on Mondays, and it's a half-hour conversation with a guest expert on a certain element of personal branding. So we get pretty specific with it. So we've had stuff on, you know, how to know when you need 
create a rebrand, how to brand using video, how, you know, the difference between having a personal brand and having influence, you know, things of that nature. So it always drills down on a specific element of branding. So it's a podcast that drops on Mondays. And then Tuesday, again, we have the chat on Twitter, <laughs> chat about brand, which is on the same topic as that week's podcast, but it's a chance for our audience to share their thoughts, and it's always a great discussion. And then on Friday, I just pop the video version of the podcast up on YouTube. So that's what we're doing, chat about, oh, sorry, let's talk about brand. And I am preparing right now, I'm preparing the back catalog to be uploaded to the Adweek Podcast Network as well. So I've got two solid years of live streams that I oh. am um, editing carefully, <laughs> especially <laughs> since I used to do giveaways every week. So I'm editing those out because they are not podcast sponsors. <laughs> but um, but those are going to be up soon for your Let's Talk About Brand Binging Pleasure. So when you have a podcast and a chat, that creates an official universe. So please immerse yeah. yourself into not the MCU, but the Let's Talk About Brand <laughs> You and um, check out that podcast. And you know, maybe I'll be can... interviewing people in the metaverse in a couple years. Who knows? Oh, God, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You sound like me, Shannon. <laughs> I'm, I'm a couple years like... older than you are, so I think we're both kind of like bah humbug about the metaverse. I feel ya. <laughs> <laughs> not not the best attitude to put forward. As you know, we need a crossover with Kathy Hassel. That's what we yeah. need. She can set us straight on the metaverse, and she's we also do. part of the Adweek Podcast Network. So let's get Kathy Hackle on here yeah. next. That is an open invitation to Kathy Hackle. <laughs> Absolutely, to get my attitude correct about this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Christine, for um, joining me as my special co-host. Um, you are welcome to come back anytime you'd like. That's a dangerous invitation, Shannon. Thank you very much. <laughs> we love dangerous invitations. I issue them all the time. I'm about to issue another one. Sammy, you are also welcome to come back anytime you... Oh, my God. Your little heart desires. Thank you so much for um, just illuminating us on the... Um, Adweek uh, Creator Network and just everything that you do in general for our social. Um, it's just taken a next level um, since you joined us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. You're my favorite. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, Forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. You don't tell anybody. <laughs> oh man, I am going to tell everybody that can even stomach it. <laughs> so. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.